Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to So You Want to Be in Ministry. I'm Tim, and here we are all about educating you if you're thinking about jumping into ministry, equipping you if you are in ministry, encouraging you if you are having a rough season and you're just uh, considering jumping out of ministry, and then empowering you to follow godly leaders. We also want to show <clears throat> what uh, a godly leader looks like just so you can find a church that has incredible uh, godly Christian leaders and then follow them. Uh, and empower them to lead you well and to follow Jesus well. We are excited about the interview today, or at least I am. I'm very excited about the interview today. It's with Lucas Bear. Lucas is a missionary to Brazil. They've been there for like 14 years. Uh, God's been doing some incredible things. He, he even coming out of COVID, uh, he talks a little bit about how they experienced COVID within Brazil. And coming out of COVID, he, he shares some of the changes that they've even adopted moving forward as a church and some of the philosophies and things down in Brazil, which I think are fascinating. But also, he was my college pastor. So when I was going through my formable years uh, as a young adult in college ministry, uh, he uh, was my pastor uh, that cared for me and my wife. Uh, we were in his college ministry. He, I also did an internship, internship under him, and we talk a little bit about that too. He was, uh, he's a great guy. He and his family are just an incredible family. Uh, I'm going to put all the links of where you can find them. If you want to be praying for them, if you want to financially support them, if you want to just hear more of their story as they uh, continue to have it, uh, I'll put all those links out there on social media, website, all that stuff. So make sure you check it out. They are a cool family to just be a part of and, and see. But let's get into Lucas's story. Here's Lucas Bear. Hey, Lucas. So glad to have you on the podcast today. Hey, Tim. Hey, uh, Man, I've been waiting for this for a while. I've, I'm excited to hear what God's doing in Brazil through your ministry. Looking forward to it. We've known each other for right around 20 years. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. In fact, uh, you were an intern of mine. I was. For, uh, a year or so, if I remember correct. Yes. And that that was, uh, so let me confess something to you. I don't know if I've ever actually said this to you. Um, so why not confess confess in a public <laughs> setting? You know, why not? Um but you asked me to do an internship with me, and I, I said yes, but I had no idea what I was doing because <laughs> you, you are, you are kind of like an administrative kind of guy, like a detail. Yeah, that's not me at all. Yeah. I was so I was just faking it the entire time we were together, <laughs> trying to figure out what, what the task I could give you to do because I had like I had nothing. I'm like I got to create stuff here, you know, administrative to help this guy out. But it was a. Uh, you were very helpful, but man, I was lost. Yeah. <laughs> I was speaking well, it the whole time. Hey, good news. Uh, I had no idea what it was supposed to look like, so I didn't have any idea either. So, there you go. And I do think there's something to, to uh, opposite personalities just making it work because I think I think good church staffs are made up of people that see things differently because then you don't miss so much and you kind of can help each other out and go, hey, not everybody thinks like you. <laughs> Absolutely. You know what? On that stream, on that thought, um, that the last church I was partnered with down in Brazil, um, the staff, um, this is the first time I've, I've ever been a part of this. The staff had, had, the pastoral staff had different views on certain doctrines. And like, like for example, eschatology. I, I was always kind of told that you had to have uniformity in these things on a leadership level. Now I'd never seen a, a, a pastoral staff that had different views on certain things like eschatology. Like, Every view of eschatology just about was represented on that staff. But man, I learned so much about the, how this, how 
you can have unity even when there's differences and how you can even teach on these things you don't totally agree on and you can do it in a way it's respectful loving and it was awesome i, I totally agree with you i think i think um differences of perspective uh, even on, on some certain doctrines obviously not all of them but yeah. uh, and certain doctrines can be really helpful and even healthy yeah absolutely i agree with that well uh let's let's get into the brazil side of things then like sure. how how give us the bullet point list of how you went from uh beginning of your life to getting into brazil oh wow so um i grew up in a awesome family and um my family my parents we went to church every sunday and um but when I was 13 years old, now I'm going to start way back, way back when I was 13. When I was 13, it was the first time that I can remember hearing the gospel, that Jesus died for me, uh, that I needed to believe in Jesus. And the first time I heard the gospel, I trusted in Christ as my Savior. And I gave my life to him to follow him. I had no idea what that meant. Um, it was a very rash decision in the moment. <laughs> um but it's interesting because as I look back, that decision that I made when I was 13, it, it changed or it, it directed me um, to determine who I was going to marry. It determined what country, what continent that I would raise my children on. <laughs> so it's a pretty big decision, right? Um, and that's not even get into the eternal uh, things that it determined, you know, when it comes to eternal life. Uh, so that was a huge moment, obviously, when I was 13. Uh, early on in high school, not say early on, I'd say probably my senior year in high school, I started to sense that, I say sense, I don't know what that means. I, I had this desire to go into full-time ministry. Um, and so I started to pursue that. Uh, went to a uh, state college for two years here in the state of Iowa, University of Northern Iowa. It was really there the Lord got a hold of my life. Uh, I got involved in a college ministry there. Both my myself and my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, we got involved in a college ministry. And that thing was awesome. And it radically changed our lives. And we fell in love with college ministry. And so we, that's what we wanted to do. We uh, moved and transferred after two years to a Bible college. That was actually in my hometown. And we started attending uh, and getting a degree in biblical studies there. And while I was there, I um, started a uh, college ministry at a community college in our town. And God started to bless that. We started seeing kids getting saved, lives being changed. Uh, and the Lord led us to continue doing that uh, on staff at our local church. And by 2000, I became the uh, pastor of college ministry at our church. Um, that's where we started to interact. Uh, some point after that and that leads me up to about 2006 ish uh when i was in my office now let me paint the scene for you so my office and you remember my office you've been in my office <laughs> my office was a converted converted janitor's closet and it even had like a sewer pipe that ran right like exposed in the uh in the ceiling uh, and it was tucked underneath a stairway, a stairway. It was like, it was, it was very metaphorical because I was unknown. I was hiding in the catacombs of the church building in a converted janitor's closet. That, that was my space. Uh, and 
it was very metaphorical for me because I always thought to myself, like, no one knows I exist. It's not like I'm, I have this, like, this, this ministry that's shaping the world and, like, people are going to write books on. And um, back in that period of my life, that was, like, I say it to my shame, but that was something that was, that was in my mind. Like, I think in my young, um, I don't know what the term would be, you just had these visions of doing, like, some earth-changing ministry, right? And here I am at a community college um, in, a, in a janitor's closet, and that's, uh, that's my ministry life. Um, and anyway, I used to joke with the youth pastor, and he's my good friend to this day, um, that uh, we will always do the ministry that we're doing because no one knows we exist. Both of our offices were in the basement. Like, it, it, we're like hidden away, and it's like no one's ever going to ask us to do some other ministry because no one knows that we even exist. We used to joke about that. There was a lot of pride and 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 weaved into those perspectives to to my shame, but anyway, there's one day I was at my desk and out of nowhere, I got this feeling in my gut that God wanted me to do something different, and I had no idea. I, I couldn't even explain it. I didn't even know if it was even from the Lord. I just had this this feeling in my stomach, like, oh my gosh, I think God is He wants me to do something else, and on my mind was always in the back of my mind, always this idea of planting churches. There was a, something about that that was very intriguing to me. I think it kind of fit in even to my my profile, my personality of going in somewhere, creating something from nothing in a sense, you know, doing that kind of foundational type work and relationships and networking. Those are all the things I really, uh, that I would like to do. Um, but I went up to um, my senior, to the, 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 uh, the lead pastor, the senior pastor, went up to his office. I said, look, I think God's calling me to do something else. I don't know what that is. I don't even know. I don't even have any open doors. I have nothing out in front of me. I don't know how to respond to this feeling. And, and he gave me some really good advice. That's why he's still to this day the senior pastor and I wasn't. He's like, Lucas, um, why, don't, why don't you pray and just ask God to open doors and follow him? I was like, oof, that's deep. That's, that's wisdom. <laughs> And uh, so I did. I went back to my office and I got on my hands and knees, on my knees to my office. And in tears, I cried out to the Lord. I said, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do. Just open the doors and I'll follow you. Now, just just to remind you, no one knows I exist, right? I'm, I, I'm in, I'm in a, a janitor's closet. Well, about a week or two later, maybe a week later, I get a phone call from a friend, a, an acquaintance, a missionary in Brazil. And he said, hey, Lucas, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in town. I'd love to have lunch with you. I'm like, sure. So like the next week or so, we have lunch. And he, he invites me and my wife. My, my wife wasn't present at the time. It was just him and I. He invited us to come join their church planning team down in Brazil. I was like, whoa, my church planning, and that's what I want to do. I mean, everything about their ministry is exactly what I'd love to do. But I had never thought of leaving the country. Never. And uh, but I thought to myself, man, is this God answering my prayer? I mean, I asked God to open doors. Is, is this the door he opened? And uh, that started a year-long process. And that's, that's a story all, all uh, in itself. And it's uh, kind of a funny, interesting story. But um, that started a year-long process of trying to find out uh, if that was the Lord's will for our life. And at the end of that year-long process, we came both, both – um, my wife and I came to the conclusion that this is God's will for all. This is what he wants us to do. 
so we, we made that decision. We didn't like Brazil. We didn't understand why Brazil. Uh, we visited, we visited um, the country, the city, did not like it, <laughs> um, which was very significant and important because we didn't make the decision to go to Brazil out of some romantic vision of what missions would be like. We're like, it, it came down to, well, um, this is what God wants for us, and we just need to be obedient. And that became really significant to our story, uh, to our meta-narrative, <laughs> to our story, because uh, our first year in Brazil was the worst year of our life, of our lives, the worst year, uh, until the second year. The second year became the very bottom of the bottom of the worst year of our life, of our lives. And we, we hit rock bottom. Well, at least we thought we did. We didn't realize that there were a few more undiscovered floors because the third and fourth year really became the worst years of our life. And, and it was a mess. We were, uh, I was depressed. I was, I was in the valley of depression, lost. I had no idea what was going on. Uh, panic attacks, both my wife and I were having panic attacks, thinking they were like heart attacks or like anaphylactic shock. We were just like, we were a mess. And there was a significant moment about three years or so into our time in Brazil where I looked at my wife and I was like, what are we doing here? I don't want to be here. And she looked at me and she said, well, I don't want to be here either. Why are we here? Why don't we go back? And it was that moment. It just kind of shocked, it kind of shocked us. And I said, well, hold on a second. Why are we here? We're here because we believe that God sent us here. This is his will for our lives. Okay. So um we don't have the choice to leave until god tells us to go so we, we just need to obey and that was significant because our unique process of trying to determine if this was god's will for our life it was really significant because it's it what anchored us it's like it, we don't have to like brazil we don't have to enjoy brazil we just need to obey and that, <laughs> even to this day that that is a uh, significant realization and understanding of our relationship with the Lord. There's a lot of times, like when my kids were little, not so much today, but when my kids were little, I have three boys. Um, there are times where I'd tell them to do something and they'd say, why? And I would say, hey, uh, in this moment in time, your role is not to ask why, your role is to obey. And that was kind of the moment for my wife and I uh, in Brazil, where it's like God said, hey, your role is not to ask why, your role is to obey. And that was significant because that allowed us to, to stay in Brazil and to go back to Brazil. We came back on a furlough, which is a time here in the States. We came back for and got some help, got some counseling. But we went back to Brazil. This is back in 2014. We went back to Brazil uh, because we felt like we didn't have the right to leave. That God didn't free us from, his, from, uh, from uh, what he asked us to do. And we went back to Brazil. I'm so glad we did because... Um, everything changed after that after that fourth year um we we started our ministry changed our lives changed uh and since then since 2014 our time in brazil has been so um important we love being in brazil we can't imagine leaving we can imagine i think every missionary can imagine leaving where they're at there are times obviously when it's hard every other week i'm trying to figure out if there's a some job I can do in the United States, like can I be a plumber, can I be an electrician? <laughs> There's always those moments like I'm done. Those come out every other week, it seems like. Um, but the time that we had in Brazil has been so significant and important and wonderful. The people that we're working with, the ministry that we're doing, how our life, 
our lives have changed radically. Our relationship as a family, as a couple, has radically changed because of of Brazil. Um, we we love where we're at. We're thankful um, for our time there. And um, so it's been kind of a it's been an interesting uh, story process, uh, but very formative. I always say that I would never want to live through those first four years of Brazil again. It was the most difficult time in my life, but I wouldn't trade it for the world because it was so significant and important. And when we got through that storm, we were different and better people, I think forged more in the image of Christ. So anyway, a little quick stories of how we ended up in Brazil. Yeah, so God took you through quite a bit there in your first four years. Uh, we'll get to kind of what's happening now here in just a minute. Um, but uh, tell us a little bit about Brazil. So you've been there for a while, 14 years, I think, right? You've been there for yeah. about 14. So tell us a little bit. We may be familiar with Brazil. I think if you have a pulse and have any bearing on the world, you understand that they love football or soccer. Soccer, yeah. Uh, but tell us about Brazil as well. Like that, I mean, more than just that. Like that, that may be all we know. You know, um, I when I showed up in Brazil in two thousand nine, um, I was kind of surprised because <laughs> I think uh, we have certain ideas of what Brazil is. Yeah. If you pull up the Wikipedia page, you get a certain kind of idea. But the people who are in the know, as you say, people who live there, uh, who grew up there, the Brazilians. Uh, they have a different perspective. Um, first of all, we are in the south of Brazil, the most southern state of Brazil. Okay. And it is a, a completely different part of the country. It's a region that is completely different. Uh, we have certain ideas of what Brazilians look like. Uh, when we stepped off the plane, um, no one knew that I was not a Brazilian until I opened my mouth. I, I, I look like a South Brazilian. Okay. That's because it's been, uh, there's been a lot of immigration from uh, Germany and okay. Italy into South Brazil specifically. So the whole makeup of the population looks like me, Okay, uh, which is fascinating. I, did, I didn't even fully realize that before, until I got there. So it's very European and the culture is, is completely different than the rest of the culture in Brazil. Um, Brazil is not, uh, I mean, it's, each region is different. The accents, just like the United States, each region is a little different. The accents are different. Uh, you know, the slang is different in each region of the, of the United States. The same thing in Brazil, but even more so, it's even more extreme to the different regions. So it's hard to say, like, what Brazil is like. I can tell you, like, what certain regions are like. Okay. Uh, so, and specifically, I can tell you about our region because um, that's what I know. I, I, I don't know the rest of Brazil. We spend all, <laughs> we spend 99% of our time in one part of Brazil. Okay. So the south of Brazil, where we are, um, is, is a fascinating place. Um, we live in the city of Porto Alegre, which is the capital of our state. Uh, the state is Rio Grande do Sul. And um, the, uh, it, it's more of a middle-class area. Okay. Uh, has the largest um, middle-class than the rest of Brazil, from what I understand. Uh, is the middle-class uh, there, when, when you say middle-class, is it similar to the viewpoint we would have in middle-class America, or is it different than middle-class America? Uh, no, I'd say it's similar, okay. um, relatively speaking, mm -hmm. right? So everything in the United States, I think, is scaled up. Yep. So what we would call middle class in the United States, we'd probably call pretty rich 
okay. in other parts of the world or filthy rich maybe in other parts <laughs> of the world. So it's relative, it's relative within its, within its, its system, right? So okay. everything's kind of scaled up here. So I'd say middle class Brazil is probably lower middle class in the United States. Okay. That's just a, a generalization. Um, yeah. I, I might be off there a little bit. But. I just want to make sure when people are thinking, they're thinking through the right lens with it when they're hearing middle sure. class and stuff. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. Uh, so the city there has, has good hospitals. The, um, the infrastructure is better than other parts of Brazil. Not as good as, as like, uh, I'm here in, in Des Moines, Iowa, right? Infrastructure here is, is phenomenal. Um, so it's not like it is, I mean, when we step off the plane here in Brazil to visit, uh, or here in Des Moines, when we're, uh, when we're visiting, always blown away by the roads. They're so smooth, so flat. You pull into a big intersection. There's so much cement. Like, oh my gosh, the <laughs> cost of this intersection. You don't see stuff like that so much in Brazil, right? Okay. Uh, but in comparison to the rest of Brazil, the infrastructure is great. When you get to the people, it's, it's interesting. They're, they're much, they're, um, the, uh, the culture is different. They are loving people all across Brazil. They are loving you. Hug, you kiss, you. Uh, they embrace. You sit down for a meal. You sit for hours talking. It's that that product, the culture is awesome. And they are people that they love. They invest time in relationships, and that's very important part of their culture. That's amazing. Uh, they are a uh, they are an event based culture. They love to get together. Love to have you know the like in our part of the, of the country uh, to grill meat is a big part of the culture. So we're always getting together, having a barbecue or something. And you just sit for hours talking and uh, sip tea and or coffee. It's, it's that part of the culture is really awesome. When you get into uh, like the, the makeup of the people like within the culture, they're a much more closed people than the rest of Brazil. And this is kind of fascinating. Um, when God led us to Brazil, specifically South Brazil, I had no idea why South Brazil, right? Uh, I, I was just obeying and following. Now that I've been here for a while in South Brazil, uh, I understand why God led us to South Brazil. South Brazil is, there's, there's really only two places in Brazil where um, specifically the mission agency that I'm with, that they're even sending church planners to. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those regions is where we are. Is a, a very underchurched. I don't know if that's a real term. I'm coining that term now. Okay. Uh, it's a very underchurched area. Um, and I was talking to uh, a Brazilian pastor, and when God sent him to South Brazil to plant a church, the people around him, he was from the north, were saying, "Do not go to South Brazil. That's where pastors go to die." <laughs> Because um, churches don't grow, it's a hard ministry, and um, the idea is when a when a pastor leaves from the north, where churches are big and flourishing, and they go to the south, you never hear from them again. <laughs> they, they go there to die. Um, so, like where we are, the average size of a church is less than 100 people. Okay. Um, when I showed up, I was told that when you sit down. To evangelize, to, to, to share Christ with somebody, expect a one and a half to two year relational investment before that person is ready to trust in Christ. I thought to myself, that's crazy. They just don't know. They just don't know how to do it right. I'll show them how to do it right. <laughs> you know, here here in our college ministry, you know, we had a four part 
yeah. Bible study through the book of John by study three, they're making decisions. It's like, Hey, it's like a three week commitment to lead someone to Christ. <laughs> and, uh, if that, uh, but it's been crazy that we have, uh, has born to be true. You invest in, in, in people, relationships in the gospel takes, a, it just takes a long time. Now there's a lot of reasons for that. One is cultural. Uh, it's not a trusting the South. They, they don't, they're, they're suspicious of people. Um, but also it's because of the, of the religious makeup of Brazil. Okay. I said earlier that you go to Wikipedia and get an idea of Brazil, but it's not very accurate, especially on the religious front. Um, Brazil is known as a Catholic country, mm-hmm. but people who live in Brazil know that's not really true. There is a, there is a Catholic veneer on the country. Um, but the majority of people who say they're Catholic aren't in Brazil. Um, the, the much, the, what's much more predominant is spiritism. Okay. Um, so like in, especially in South Brazil, uh, the spiritism is very strong. Now there's two different kinds of spiritism. And I think I've used those terms correctly, more or less. Um, there's two different types. There's the French spiritism, um, Alan Kardec, Kardecian, Alan Kardec. Uh, was a French spiritist at the turn of the century. Uh, they did seances and communicated with the dead and got these writings from, from dead people about reality of the universe and stuff like that. It's, I believe in reincarnation and whatnot. That is really uh, influential where we are. And there's also the, the Afro-Brazilian religions. Oftentimes kind of gets put into the same term spiritism. And those are like, to, to, to communicate to a, uh, an American audience, it's like voodoo. If you think of what yeah. voodoo is, very same idea. There are these religions that uh, came over from Africa with the slave trade, um, and then they mixed with and produced new types of um, religions in, in Brazil called Afro-Brazilian religions. So those are really strong where we are. Uh, so uh, every morning you go drive around, you'll see sacrifices on street corners of chickens or or food products and alcohol, and um, you'll hear the drums at night. Uh, so that's those are the most common okay. religions and the most influential. And it gets complicated because they mix. So someone might go to mass on Sunday, uh, and then throughout the week they're going to the witch doctor. So there's this like mixing, and that's why it gets complicated trying to figure out exactly what's going on. And it has a tremendous influence. In the church in Brazil, even even the the Protestant evangelical church, uh, when we got to Brazil, I, it was so strange to me because the evangelical church was was just odd. It, <laughs> the the health, wealth, prosperity gospel uh, is the norm, and it's okay. really strong. I could not figure out why that was uh, until I read an article written back in the eighties by Wall Street Journal or New York Times. I think it was New York Times of a guy that went down to, to understand the spiritism that was taking place in, in Brazil. And when he started in his way of researching and explaining, it really made sense to me. But in the spiritism, you are trying to appease different spirits. So if you all these different kinds of spirits and you're trying to appease them to get something, you're trying to appease or manipulate the spirit in order, in order to get something that you want. And the prosperity gospel is that same idea just translated into Christianity where you're trying to manipulate God to get health, wealth, and prosperity 
or health, that's kind of redundant, health and wealth. Um, and so it's just kind of the same idea, which, and so uh, it helped me understand that there, that the spiritism has tremendous influence, even in the uh, evangelical church, because it's kind of like the foundational worldview. It seeps into everything. If you watch like the carnival parades, don't recommend it. So um, <laughs> I might want to put a filter on that. But if you did, um, you would, and you saw the big floats, um, the majority of the floats are uh, floats in honor of these uh, spirits. Mm-hmm. You don't even realize it when you watch it, but, but the, um, the, uh, the spiritism, uh, there's different forms of it. Uh, the spiritism is on, is uh, front and center uh, because it's such a part of Brazil and they've really kind of uh, have a lot of influence and in things like carnival. But anyway, so it gives you a little bit of an idea. Uh, it's a unique um, ministry. It's one that takes a lot of patience, a lot of hard work. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a slow play. It's a process to work with these people, and uh, but it's it's important. It's needed. Um, so yeah, that give you a little bit of an idea. I think about yeah what's going on in Brazil. What it's like. It's an awesome place. Seems like it. Yeah, uh, like I love the I love the idea of just being like it's refreshing to even hear just wanting to sit around and just have relationships for hours and just cook out and grill out like i think there's plenty of americans that i can identify with that <laughs> desire so uh that's cool uh tell us a little bit uh you've been in brazil so you've done a number of things tell us how you got to what you're doing now and then what are you doing now sure um so generically speaking when we went mm-hmm. to brazil we were under the umbrella or the idea of church planting mm-hmm. going into communities they don't have a gospel witness or have a very, uh, the, the presence of the, the church is not really there uh, into plant churches. Uh, I mean, that was the idea. And, that, and that's what we're doing. I say it because like our first years, we're learning language. So they speak Portuguese in Brazil. And we didn't speak a lick of Portuguese when we arrived. And, um, you know, when you're, I think I arrived when I was 34, 35. And the, not a great period of time to try to learn a new language <laughs> was not easy um still isn't easy but um so uh uh when we arrived we're learning culture in brazil and the language we uh we worked our first four years we helped a small newer church in a very poor community and so we were we're helping that church get established um after that the lord moved us out of that ministry and into a partnership with Church in uh, in the capital city, so we moved from the suburb into the capital city uh, to work with the large church, which is kind of an in, uh, in enigma because there are not very many large churches at all uh, uh, in Brazil when it comes to non-Catholic churches. You have some large Catholic churches, but in the Protestant evangelical realm, especially in the South, mm-hmm. uh, specifically, very on average less than hundred people. This church was very large, and it was God was doing some amazing things in this church. It had gone from about 300 to about 1,500 in a span of about three or four years, wow. maybe five years. A lot of salvation decisions, amazing things going on. Yeah, And um, they were considering thinking about planting churches. Okay, And so I had a contact there. We came on um, to plant a church with that church, to help that church establish and uh, form a, a vision for church planting. And so, and so we came on. Uh, in partnership to uh, to do that, 
Um, so we, we, uh, we, we were with that church for about seven years and, uh, super important formative time of our ministry. I feel like we learned how to minister to Brazilians through our time at that church. Cool. Uh, the Lord yeah. used that church to greatly change and transform our marriage, uh, uh our relationships to our children. It, it was an amazing, important period of time of our lives. Um, it's in the midst of that time where, where I felt like that, that, um, that I came to Brazil be, uh, to reach the Brazilians, but maybe God sent me to Brazil so he'd reach me. <laughs> it was such a form of time and learning so much, but we never uh, were able to get a church planted. Um, we, the church was located on the north side of the city. We moved to the south side about 45 minutes away. There was one small group down there, and uh, we started working with that small group of the church. That thing multiplied in about five small groups. We had uh, 100 or so, over 100 people connected to that small to that network of small groups on the south side of the city. And we were ready to plan a church, but it just never quite, it never quite happened. That's kind of a long story in and of yeah. itself, but through that, um, the Lord uh, transitioned us out of that. Uh, it was a very healthy, good transition. Uh, we still have great relationships with that church. They have been uh, supportive of us, uh, but just got to the, the place, even philosophically, like what a church plant was gonna look like. It was kind of changing. Um, so we actually transitioned out of that back in, it's been a couple of years ago now, back in 2020, it doesn't matter, a few years back. Um, I suppose if I say a day, it's going to date the podcast. Yeah, like, no. it's a few years back. We'll say that. A few years, years back. back. <laughs> I, you did um, say, I want to say it because you've told me this before that even that, like, I believe that church even like had a service where they sent you guys out and stuff like yeah. a big celebration moment and prayed over you and stuff. Yeah. It was a cool moment. Yeah. It, it was a good transition, but there was, there were frustrations. Yeah. In our yeah. Lives, you know, that's, that's just how, yeah, you know, that's just, that's just life. Yeah. Uh, that's working with people. Right. But <laughs> it shows that it shows the cool, uh, the cool aspect of the kingdom of God that, Things can transition. They can land like neither side we're hoping, and yet we can still be the kingdom of God that's unified and going. We love each other. Go do what God's calling you to do. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I think that um, that was one of the things that I learned being a part of that church. It was the first time that I had been a part of a church staff that there were different differing views on on key doctrines. Okay, like. And I was always like, so like, uh, the, like the, I'll just pick one, the okay. view of eschatology, right? Uh-huh. All the views were present on that church staff, of the pastors. And I was always under the impression of like, that, that can't work. <laughs> <laughs> we we got to have uniformity. Um, and I saw that not only could it work, but, but they taught on eschatology and the return of Christ. And, and yet all these views were present and yet there was unity. And that was, that was awesome. That really helped me in a lot of ways. Um, so there's so much that was kind of amazing and awesome that we, that we learned and, and took from that church, but we did transition out. And, uh, that was during COVID after COVID we transitioned out to start a, um, a new church plant on the south side of the city. And uh, so we've been doing that now for quite a few years. And it's been, the last two years have been probably, not probably, it's been like the most enjoyable and fruitful time in Brazil. And in some ways I feel like 
I think we always can say this, right? I think any moment in our life, we'll stop and look back and say these kind of things. But it's, I can look back and say that, that all these things that have been taking place in our life, the good, the bad, the, the struggles, the victories, have been kind of preparing us for this moment. Um, and again, I think we, any moment in time, I think we can look back and say that. But uh, it's prepared us for this moment of, of ministry. And, and uh, it's been the most enjoyable and the most fruitful uh, of our time in Brazil. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I would just remind people, too, we're talking, this is year 14, right, for you? So yeah. <laughs> it's not, like, please hear that if you're in ministry and you're just like, ah, but I'm not there yet. And it's like, it takes time sometimes. Like, it doesn't just happen overnight. Yeah, uh, There's times where it just has to. Yeah. So tell us about the church that you're planting or have planted. Like, what does it look like? What are you doing? How are you connecting with people? So, yeah, um, during... Uh... During COVID, it was it was a crazy time for the whole world, right? And Brazil was was different than maybe some parts here in the United States, where we were. Uh, everything shut down, so there were no church gatherings for over a year, and small groups didn't gather for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. So everything was online, um, and through that period of time, it, it was very formative. We, we started to rethink church. I felt like. In our context, and I can't necessarily speak the, the context of the United States, but in our context, I felt like COVID exposed the underbelly of the church, the, the weaknesses of the church, of the model. When I say the church, the model. So the the church model that we we're uh, functioning under is very Western, very American, very um, the United States has. I think the United States, the evangelical church, of the United States, is like the new Rome. It has such influence; it just rattles through the through, through the kingdom of God, um, for better and for worse. But uh, so we, we had this very large, very don't take this the wrong way. Yeah, uh, I'm not being critical. I'm just being um, I'm just being descriptive, not prescriptive here. Okay. Um, very, um, I would say that a church model that was leveraging is leveraging. Um, certain philosophies and ideas taken from the business world to be more efficient, proficient. Um, and so that, that was the context that we were living in and, and ministering in. And during COVID, I felt like things got shut down and the church needed to be flexible and needed to be creative and needed to rethink and, and even maybe even redefine what church should look like in that moment. It really struggled. And uh, that's the kind of things I love. I love to rethink. I love to, you know, let's 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 get down to the nuts and bolts here. Let's kind of, let's be creative. Um, and so, the church is really struggling in that moment. And there were, um, I'd say, two moments uh, that were very important in that period of time. The, fir- the one was like the first week of the COVID shutdown, where um, I thought to myself, "Wow, there's not going to be like a weekly sermon." Mm-hmm. There might be one online. A lot of people aren't going to watch it. Mm-hmm. And it dawned on me. I was like, I don't know if the people here on our side of the city, our ministry, I don't know if they can, if they can like read the Bible themselves and mm-hmm. feel like that's enough. And like, can they teach themselves? Because the preaching was so strong and so good that it became people people became dependent on it. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, now that's kind of taken away. Can these people read the Bible themselves and apply it and live it? And I was really challenged by that that the church became so good at preaching the word on Sunday that it just kind of like, you know, I feel like um, a lot of people are thinking to themselves, 
I will never get these insights from the Bible like this guy does. So why am I even reading it? I can just come here on Sunday. I can hear this message. I can, that's enough for the week. I can work on it throughout the week. I don't even need to read the Bible myself. So I felt like that there was this, um, uh, that, uh, the strength of the church was becoming a weakness in a sense that is okay. creating this dependence of the people on the sermon. And then the second thing that was very formative in just thinking through everything during COVID was um, the youth group, the youth ministry at, at our partner church at the time is probably the best youth ministry I've ever seen. Our children and family greatly benefited from this youth ministry. It was awesome. It is awesome to this day. Uh, but it also shut down, went online. My kids hated it online. My kids <laughs> refused. So it was like pulling teeth, trying to get my kids to, to go to the Instagram live to watch the youth stuff. And and um, and so finally, we just kind of stopped forcing our kids <laughs> to go to the online youth experience. And so then they were like doing nothing. And I remember one morning I was um, on the couch, I was praying and kind of thinking and and, and um, allowing my, my mind to wander. and. Um, I just had a thought. I said, man, it's been like a couple months since my kids have been participating in the youth program. Who's teaching the kids the Bible? Like, where are my kids hearing the Bible? There's, they're not hearing any teaching on, on scripture. It was like concerning to me. And in that moment, I'll call it this. I, in that moment, I had uh, um, spirit-led thoughts. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Don't want to say God spoke to me. People get a little weird about that. Yeah. Um, if you're in the context where where you use the terminology God spoke to me and that you're you're comfortable with that, God spoke to me. If you're not, then I had spirit guided thoughts. So <laughs> pick what pick what everyone you're more comfortable with. Um, had these spirit guided thoughts, um, and in that moment when I was thinking, you know, where are my kids hearing the Bible? They're not hearing uh, because youth youth the youth ministry isn't really functioning. In that moment. It's like the spirit of God said, Lucas, that has always been your role. You just gave it over to somebody else. You gave your role as father, spiritual influence of your children. You gave that to the youth pastor because he was good at it. And that cut me to the heart. Mm. And I, and, um, I, I repented. Um, I was so challenged by that. And then I thought to myself, man, if I'm, I'm a professional follower of Jesus, right? <laughs> I get paid to follow Jesus. I'm a professional. And if I, I say that, I don't know if you hear it in my voice or yeah, oh, watching yeah. the video. I can hear the sarcasm. There's a lot of sarcasm. Yeah. Um, but I thought to myself, as a leader, I thought to myself, if, if I've done this, if I've given up my God-given role and responsibility as spiritual influencers of my children to the church, I guarantee a lot of other people have as well. And then my mind started spinning. You start thinking, you know, everyone talks about why are the kids leaving the church and they go to college. And now that's a super complex spiritual conversation. There's no simple way to, to go through that because every situation is different. But part of my mind was thinking to myself, you know, if as parents, if we can return as the spiritual influences of our children and create in our homes the Christian culture that, that we need to be creating, it might help our children transition better into their own Christian lives as they leave the home. I don't know. This is the thought I had, but I became really challenged by that in the moment. I was like, man, just like the preaching has become um, a, a, a crutch to the church. I think maybe the children's mysteries has become a crutch. I mean, why, 
why do I need to teach my children about Jesus when the church does it so much better? And they have bouncy houses. <laughs> I mean, it's awesome, right? My kids like going there and they get a little Jesus slipped in there and they're learning about it. And that's good enough, you know? And, and I fell into that because the youth ministry is so awesome. It's like, so my responsibility as a parent, I just have to drive them to youth group. That's easy, yeah. you know? Um, so that was really powerful in my own life. And I, I repented and I strived to try to reassert myself, reassume that role as spiritual teacher, influencer of my children along with my wife. Um, and that was super formative. And those two things super influenced uh, our next church plan. Um, along with identifying the, the, the need of relationships, right? Yeah. Uh, because COVID, man, if COVID taught us, I remember watching church online and you had the music, you had the preaching. And I thought to myself, this isn't church. Mm-hmm. Content consumption is not church. Correct. Right. Yeah. But we, it's so easy to fall into church. Church can, can just become content creators mm-hmm. and disciples can just become content consumers mm-hmm. right yep. and um but hey, we could get on that thing because that you know the church reflects culture for better and for worse and that's our i mean is that not our culture today in the united states yeah. it's just content creation content consumption and um and the church is is uh following the lead of the culture which isn't necessarily a bad thing but we need to leverage those things for the kingdom of god not succumb to them um so anyway, we just decided uh, the church plant God was leading us to do would be like the antithesis of everything that. So we just, um, we started, a, we just want to simplify everything. We wanted to do small churches instead of big churches, a whole bunch of small churches network together instead of one big church. We wanted to have unpaid leadership, whatever that looks like. Um, <laughs> we wanted, I remember when we, uh, I remember when we were talking to families, inviting them to come with us, I said, look, um, if uh, talking about the children ministry and whatnot, I said, look, if, uh, if you as parents decide not to teach your children about Jesus, they will never hear about him because the church is not going to teach them. So that's on you. Um, so <laughs> our whole thing was, we're just going to, we're going to eliminate children's ministries. No youth ministry, no children's ministry. We're taking it out because we didn't want, to create a, a spiritual welfare system, which I think we can fall into. Um, and so we just went to the extreme. Now, look, let me just say, <laughs> not against youth ministry, love youth ministry, not against children's ministry. Um, I think there is a there's an important role of those things. As long as they, um, they uh, come alongside the family and the role of the parents instead of trying to replace it. Yeah. No church, no youth ministry would say they're trying to replace the role of the parents. No yeah. one would say that. Yeah. It's just something we have to watch because it can happen. Yeah. Um, and so things you have to constantly fight against. But what we decided to do was, you know, we have this value that we want parents to, to teach their children. We want the family to be central uh, in our church. I think every church would say that. We just took that value and went to the extreme. Yeah. Saying like, if we don't value this value, our church will fall apart. So um, we took out all youth ministry, took out all children's ministry. Um, and then the, uh, the metaphor of family, uh, as you look in scripture, you see the church, the, the metaphor of family, God's our father, uh, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and trying to lean into that and, and trying to model our church after how a family functions. Um, 
And so we, uh, when we gather together, in fact, we call ourselves, our church doesn't have a name. Um, <laughs> we're like, we just don't want to put a name to it. It sounds weird, right? Um, but uh, we don't really have a name, but like we have a WhatsApp group. Like, so I don't know if all of your listeners are familiar with WhatsApp. The whole world, except the United States, uses WhatsApp. So <laughs> it's, it's just a, uh, it's a platform for, for messaging that works with any kind of phone or whatnot. So our WhatsApp group uh, is called, the, the, in Portuguese, but in English, is the family. Okay. Uh, and because we try to model it. So when we get together, so what used to be very, uh, I think, um, what used to be a part of our culture in the United States and still is in Brazil is the idea of the family meal on Sunday or okay. the family gets together on Sunday. They have like in the South, they grow up some meat and they just get together. And we started thinking about that. And I thought, you know, when we get the family, together, like the extended family, all the little kids, all the cousins, all the uncles, they all get together. I'm like, do we like have children's ministries when we get the, I, maybe your family does. Ours never did, yeah. and so and the kids are there, and so they're playing, and you know, you we have to figure out how to. We had the kids' table, if you count that. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, you probably could, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but y'all kind of get together, and we're like, "Can we do church like that? Is that possible?" And so we tried. We're like, "Let's." We want the kids to learn to worship the Lord in a corporate setting from the parents. We want them to be a part of it. And so we're like, we're having the kids together. It's like little kids on the floor. There's some games there, but the, all the bigger kids are with us and they're participating. We took the sermon out and said, it's going to be discussion-based. People who have gifts of teaching are going to have opportunity to speak more. Everyone can share. People in, in their family are studying the passage throughout the week. We're, bringing, we're coming together. We're, we're discussing it together. And all as it's just a big family. Now, I think I could probably write a book about that and like it would sell. People are like, oh, that's amazing. Dude, it was a disaster. It's gonna it ask you how'd that go? <laughs> disaster. Because um, in in Brazil, the parenting's different. Um, well, at least different than than the context that I that I was familiar with. Where like in Brazil <laughs> Kids are just, they, 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 they rule the roost, right? And the kids will just go crazy, and the parents don't really seem to react to it. It's, right? it's almost like part of the culture. So I remember, like, early on, we're all kind of discussing, and kids are screaming and fighting and yelling and, and sometimes laughing, and, and the parents, they don't even bat an eye. I mean, they totally ignore it. And I'm sitting here, and maybe that's my American culture, but I'm just like, holy smokes, what on earth are we doing? Why are you not taught? Why are you not quieting your kid down? Why aren't you? Know? And I'm saying that on the inside. Yeah. But every Sunday, I was like, I hate our gathering. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. It's terrible. Um, and early on, I thought, this isn't going to work. And like the teens, it's like our first two gatherings, the teens were separated. They had their own little time. And then as a group, we decided that's not what we want. We want our teens, we want this really to be a family thing. Yeah. So we dragged our teens down. Now, couple of those teens their only experience was youth ministry and in a church that had specific gatherings um curtailed is that the right idea that they were like made for them like all yeah. the and so they were they were used to like fast loud flashy smoke lights the whole thing and now they're sitting in a circle of their parents and we're talking mm -hmm. about the bible 
and like the first couple of times you can just sense it like my son my youngest son i was still at home at the time he's like eh, i don't want to do this <laughs> but so let me tell you the rest of the story it took some time right um we saw that we had quite a few parents that really had no idea how to raise our children and i think that's probably true across the board raising kids is not easy and it doesn't come natural right no. we need we need people who've done it before to step in and say hey let me help you out here a little bit i know we did um and that's still true today and so we had we had to help some parents figure out how to how to create a home that wasn't chaos and how, how to talk to their kids and how to lovingly direct them and even discipline them in a way that that reflects the love and grace of god and um so we started working with them and then it started after a few months few months longer months it started to kind of happen right the kids were like not screaming and fighting and, and all of a sudden there's some unity and some things going on and it's always there's always a little noise right we had to get we had to get rid of the legos we had a big box of legos and man i thought like the most like the important moments of like deep conversation like something like real intimate and all of a sudden you hear like some kid trying to find a lego at the bottom <laughs> you know so, yeah so then we had to get rid of that because that was just you know, it was killing me but um we started to see the parents kind of like take the even even the whole group was like hey we can help out you know and kids get screaming hey we can help them out and um and then finally um as the families got more established in reading scripture at home right everything starts at home in our church so often i think in our churches we try to create something on sunday and push it into the churches throughout the week and we do that backwards where it's like no let's get it right at home first and that's going to seep out and we're going to bring that experience and culture into our church gatherings so as families started to get into the rhythm of reading scripture together with their children discussing it all of a sudden the children were they had things to share in our gatherings and also the children started getting involved and then the craziest thing happened where the kids started to love the church gatherings so much so like if the parents are like ah it's been a long weekend i don't think we're gonna go on sunday and the kids are like no we gotta go we gotta go <laughs> um and it was the weirdest thing because it, it totally surprised me because i'm like we, we do nothing cool right there's <laughs> nothing cool about what we do it is it is just boring we sit around we pray for each other we'll sing a song off a little speaker off my phone um and then we 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 talk about uh, the passage of the week and sharing stuff and then we figure out ways we can apply it and obey it and so it's nothing cool and then afterwards we have a meal um that's cool uh, that is cool i don't know yeah. yeah. cool. um but then uh and we have communion every sunday um and the kids started loving it what i remember one sunday we had a 21 year old kid show up he was a boyfriend of a girl of a daughter of someone that comes to our church i thought to myself oh man he's gonna hate this <laughs> he, he wasn't a believer yeah i wasn't a follower of jesus um i'm like oh i was almost like embarrassed like, because we, we we get really our paradigm of church is it's it's a um it's an attractional model that's all i knew right and we're just yeah. completely different it's like it's unattractive it's ugly church that's my book that's that's what I'll, yeah that's what I'll, that's ugly all my book. <laughs> ugly church. <laughs> it fits. That, that fit. I just I know you well enough. That totally fits. People would be like, "Yeah, that's Lucas." Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, but I thought to myself, and so there was like part of me. It's like, oh, we should probably get a better song. We should probably. I said, stop, 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 stop. No, we're not going to do anything different. We're not going to tone down the prayer time. 
we're just going to be disciples of Jesus. And this is what it is. It's a gathering of the disciples. And he's stumbling in, and he just, he's going to get real, a glimpse of real life here. And so he came in real quiet, didn't really interact much, you know, and, and we, we did our thing. And then he came back. Mm. And when he came back, I asked him, I was like, hey, uh, I just want to ask you a question. It's going to sound weird, but why'd you come back? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just was kind of curious. And he's like, this, this is amazing what's going on here. I'm like, okay, unpack that for me. He's like, well, I've, I've visited church before. I've, I've been part of the spiritism. And he said, but here, people sit around and they talk about what God's teaching them. They love each other. Anyone can talk. You know, there's not this like authoritative person who's like holier than thou. Um, now I'm not. I'm not talking about church. I'm talking about these other religions. But sometimes you see that too, right? Yeah. In church, but like the guru is not this like spiritual guru that has this key to wisdom everyone has to listen to. It's like we're the priests of the believers. I didn't use that terminology, yet, but <laughs> but uh, you know, we're everyone's kind of talking about it, and it's like this this atmosphere i'm putting words in his mouth this family yeah. atmosphere yeah and that kind of blew my mind and, and it was in that moment where i was like i think we ignorantly stumbled into something here <laughs> because now i know we're not the only ones doing this it, and we're not necessarily following any kind of model we're just kind of stumbling along and trying to figure it out and trying to be spirit-led as much as we can um but it dawned on me it's like i think i think we stumbled into something here mm-hmm. and I remember when you and I were talking about that, you said, yeah, it's the post-COVID church. I'm like, yeah. oh, <laughs> you're fine with that way. Um, so it's been kind of awesome. We're seeing, um, there's so many stories I can get into, but I, we don't have the, the bandwidth or the time in this moment, no. I think, to do it. But the, the focus of our church has become the restoration of families. No. Um, a, lot of, a lot of broken homes, um, more than we realize. And so that's a lot of the focus of our ministry. Uh, and seeing that happen has been amazing. We saw family, two adults, restored in their relationship to each other and to the Lord, baptizing their children, who, who older children who wanted to be baptized, having faith in Christ. And that was awesome to see them do it. I was in the water, like some spiritual guru pastors, that yep. the parents baptizing their children and the joy and celebration. It was awesome because it meant so much. I mean, baptism is kind of awesome as, as someone comes public in their faith, but yep. but. The, it, it was a picture of a restored family. Um, and it was kind of awesome. Uh, we, we started a second church uh, just down the street, a very poor community. That's a whole other story in itself. That's just amazing. Um, and, uh, but so as we're going forward, we're, we're, we're just, uh, the plan is to help um, every follower of Jesus that, that we gather with to to be a, a disciple maker um and uh helping them grow in that calling to be a, a disciple maker and having these churches these small gatherings of disciples multiply being networked together shared leadership shared resources but being networked together um there in, in south brazil so that's what we're doing what we're working towards um and it's uh it's been it's been awesome. Yeah, I I've loved hearing about it. So the post COVID church, like even our church, is massively transformed. So we're still doing the large gatherings and and things of that nature. But uh, for me, the post COVID church people are craving something more 
than uh, entertainment value. They're craving something more than yeah. some uh, spiritual guru preaching. They are craving moments with God that that can carry beyond uh, one day of the week or one hour of the week that can carry beyond uh, being dependent on one person in a week. Um, and that's what we're seeing. So we, we really do, we've, we've transformed our model even to, we want people to have moments with God and not just on Sunday, like every single day, we want to teach you how to have moments with God that would impact your family and your community. And yeah, so, and that, so when you were talking and you were even talking shared leadership, that's part of what we've embraced is, um, we call it balanced leadership, um, where nobody has, uh, Nobody is completely in charge of something or, and then we, and we build it on a biblical foundation. So yeah, I, I've loved hearing about all this. What is one, you've shared a lot of things. Is there one like tool or lesson that you wish you would have had from the beginning? It really would have transformed, uh, even how you started in ministry to begin with. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I remember, <laughs> it doesn't sound so basic, but man, it, it's just my lifesaver. I remember back when I was in our partner church trying to get a church planted. Um, and I, I left a meeting really frustrated. I leave most meetings frustrated. I'm just not a meeting guy, right? <laughs> um, but I was really frustrated because I, I, I wanted to get a church planted, but more specifically, I wanted to get a building that I could, that I could say, look, I, I did something as a missionary. <laughs> A lot of pride wrapped up in that and a lot of uh, not good. But I felt like, you know, I needed to get a church building that said, you know, the first church that Lucas planted, you know, whatever. And um, being frustrated that I wasn't able to launch something that I could say was mine. I was just was talking to the Lord and I was driving home. I can tell you exactly where, where I was on the road. I was driving home down to Brazil and had one of those moments again, let's call it spirit guided thoughts right um where i just had this thought it was like this lucas um jesus never commanded anybody to plant a church not that was like a profound thought to me um because my whole definition and title was church planner and that that definition that title does not come from scripture and i thought to myself like Jesus never, you'll never find that command in scripture, go plant a church. What is the command? Go make disciples. Now, that's profound, right? We think about that because, so let me throw this out to you. Okay. Uh, you can plant a church and never make a disciple. I'm going to think about that. You can plant a church and, and I want to unpack that. That can get kind of nasty, but that's true, right? Um, it is. And, but if you make disciples, you always get the church. Mm. Um, start with the disciples, the making of disciples. So like some phrase, some phraseology I picked up here in the States um, is don't plant a church, plant the gospel, right? Okay. Go make disciples. Okay. So, if you, so then when you, when you make new disciples and you gather them together, that's church, right? I, I mean, that's, that's a pretty simplified definition, but you get the idea. Yep. yep. But and so in that moment, it's like, Lucas, stop. Stop getting so as I was driving home, the, the spirit led thoughts where it's Lucas, stop focusing on trying to get some building and something you want to call church constructed. Just make disciples. 
if you make disciples, then you're obeying the Lord. And that's what you, that's what you're called to do. I was like, wow. Okay. And that, that was a huge moment. Um, and that has never left me. And it has, it has given me a ground to stand upon in the midst of the storms of ministry, because there are many moments where, for example, six months into our ministry, we took two families with us from our partner church and they were, they were, they were sent with us. They were like the pillars of, of leadership, the people in our core team, our launch team, whatever terminology you want to use. These two families in the six months into our brand new church plant, the very same week, days apart, unbeknownst one to the other, the two wives contacted us, obviously separately, to inform us they were leaving their husbands. Wow. And I mean, we're like, well, that just ended our church. <laughs> I just ended the ministry. Um, now, that was a very significant time. And it, uh, it's really what brought about our focus on uh, we need to focus on making healthy marriages that produce healthy families right um but in that moment we were like everything's falling apart this, this is done before we even get started but in that moment it's like well hold on a minute just make disciples don't don't worry about all the other stuff let's just simplify it just make disciples don't worry about what the church is going to look like just make disciples and there's been a lot of moments where, where when everything's falling apart someone leaves something, something happens you think oh this is it's all going to fail you know, I'm failing in ministry or whatever it is. It's like, well, hold on. Am I making disciples? Am I making disciples? Yes. Then, good. You're obeying the Lord. And that's really all you need to do. So that's the thing I think. I wish I would have made that realization years ago. So it would have saved me from a lot of bad decisions, a lot of clout chasing, a lot, a lot of all that kind of stuff you, you fall into. And when you're in a leadership role, it's like, stop. Just don't overcomplicate. Just make disciples. Um, don't make a system that makes disciples. I mean, we make systems, but don't, don't, don't make the making of a system your goal. It's yeah. we're making disciples. Um, that's awesome. So anyway, that's, that's probably a big one. Yeah. That's awesome. Encouragement too, even on that side where if you've, <laughs> if you do feel a lot of weight and, and struggle and stuff that simplify it, like, are you making disciples? If the answer is yes, you're being obedient. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, if you make disciples end up being a part of a different local expression of the church. So, yep. I mean, uh, the kingdom of God is still advancing. The church of Christ is being established. Who cares if it's, if it's connected to your name or not? I mean, we, we can't clout chase like that. It's like, just make disciples. You don't worry about it if it's, if it's like connected to your little uh, historically insignificant ministry that whatever name you want to put to it. Yeah. Be honest, right? Yeah. Hundred years from now, most of our ministries won't exist. Some that will. is true. A lot of them won't. Yep. But the disciples that we are a part of, that we get the chance to be a part of in their process, that that lasts for eternity, right? We believe that. I I remember reading an uh like a blog post or something. This was several years ago, uh, and it said the title of it was "Don't worry, all of Paul's churches are dead too." <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> So true. No, it's just like okay. Uh, <laughs> what are what are uh, one or two books that have impacted, or maybe even podcasts that you listen to, or something like that, that have impacted your ministry, or that you uh, you would encourage others to read or listen to? Uh, um, so I don't read books. I listen to a lot of books. Right? Yeah. Well, um, that's fine. That, I, to me, that's the same. I count those as yeah. the same. Yeah. So um, I. Uh, 
I like to uh, get on my Audible and, and hear some different books. So yep. here's a couple of books. Um, there's a book by Paul Tripp called Lead. Yep. Our um, staff is going through that right now. That is a great book. It is. Um, I didn't really know Paul. I mean, I didn't really know Paul Tripp. I had kind of an idea of Paul Tripp. Uh, that book I thought was awesome. And there's, I'll there's just another... go there. Yeah, I'll just go there. If oh, go ahead. He's, he's phenomenal. Like I would recommend anything he's written, but if you, anything that he wrote from suffering when he wrote that book and after it, he, when he wrote suffering, it changed how he wrote books and lead came mm -hmm. after that book. And so it's, he just okay. writes differently after that book. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is the first and really the only book I've, I've, I've read from Paul Trippett. I mean, it was, I, I've gone through it twice. It, not, I, outside of the Bible, I don't, I, I, very few books I've read twice. Um, so awesome book, but there's another book. So, okay. There's actually a book I read before that. That's very similar. Okay. It's called Unleader by Lance Ford. Okay. I haven't read that one. So that's a dangerous book. Okay. Um, <laughs> I say that because it's, um, it hits on a lot of the same things that, um, Paul Tripp's book does uh, lead. A lot of the same, address the last same things, but uh, Lance Ford is younger than okay. Paul Tripp. Okay. And and Paul Tripp says a lot of the same things that Lance Ford does, but he says it with maybe a little bit more, uh, I don't know the right way to say it. Uh, there's not as much angst. There's a lot okay. of, the, the Unleader book has a lot of angst. Okay. Uh, like uh, youthful angst, like, um, uh, a lot of frustration okay. in the book, okay. but um, it is a great book too. It's it it has it has some things in that are really good. So those are two books. They're kind of they're kind of the same book, the same stream. Um, one is tempered by age and experience. One is um, invigorated by youthful angst and frustration. They're both good books. So I I'd recommend both those. Okay. Lance's book is dangerous, right? Because <laughs> if you're a cynical, frustrated person, it's like putting kerosene on the fire. Okay, uh, but it's good. It's a really good book. If you so, let's just do this. If you need to, if you need a little bit of uh, to get fired up and get a little bit of uh, I don't know passion back in you, Lance Ford might be the way to go. And if you need a father <laughs> figure that's just there to talk to you and encourage you, it might be Paul Tripp. <laughs> there you go. That's good. I like it. Okay. I like it. All right. Cool, man. Well, I, uh, I think that's all the questions I've got for you. Anything you want to add here at the end? No, I think that's, uh, I think, I think I'm spent. I was okay. exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I could, I'm glad I could exhaust you. I, I appreciate it so much, man. That was, there's so much wisdom in there. I appreciate your heart, appreciate your ministry and how you guys have been faithful even through the difficult seasons and storms of ministry. Likewise, man. I appreciate you too. Thank you so much. You're welcome. See you later. See ya. I think it's pretty easy to tell that he loves Jesus. He has a great time in life. Um, he just enjoys, he brings a joy into spaces. Uh, he's a creative thinker. Like I think you could get all of that. He's very passionate. Um, and so I think you could even see the elements of the two of our personalities playing off where he, 
Uh, I, we talked about it early in the episode where, you know, he needed some of my administrative stuff. I needed some of his just wild and crazy spontaneity. Uh, and I think you kept hearing how God's working through him and his family down in southern Brazil. Make sure you check out uh, the links. Uh, if, you, if you just want to know how to pray for them, if you're interested in financially supporting them, any of that, make sure you check out uh, what's happening there. Check out the links in the description and on the website uh, to get to those places because we want, I mean, if you can, we want to keep seeing God do some amazing things even overseas. So be a part of that if you can. Uh, if you would do me a massive favor and continue to subscribe, write reviews, uh, do all the things just to get the word out there across all the different platforms, whether it's your favorite podcasting platform or whether it's YouTube, uh, check out the website. I'm going to, I'm looking at the potential of adding a blog post uh, every once in a while. We'll see how that uh, pans out. But if you could check all that out, I would really appreciate it. Looking forward to the next few episodes. We have some pretty neat guests coming up here as we round out year one in the So You Want to Be in Ministry podcast. Looking forward to what God's going to do even into the future. And I'll see you next time.